Slate Plus members get early access to our Downton Abbey spoiler specials this season, immediately following the broadcast on PBS. If you're not a Slate Plus member and you want early access, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash spoiler plus. Hello and welcome to a Slate Plus spoiler special for Season 5, Episode 5 of Downton Abbey. I'm June Thomas and I'm here in New York with the one and only Sethador Stevenson. Hello, Seth. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Shrimpy. How are you? <laughs> I'm in the pink. I'm fabulous. You look as though you could do with a lie down. <laughs> I'm as infirm. No, wait. As firm. No, wait. As Windsor Castle. Oh, well, something like that. We're taking a break from doing a jigsaw puzzle together. <laughs> To it's laid out here in the studio, the, <laughs> yeah. the puzzle, but we've pushed it aside. Pushed it aside. Oh, God, we just lost a few pieces. I'm so sorry. To discuss this episode, which was extremely, like, there was a lot of action in here, right? You know, June, actually, I felt there was a lot of place setting in the first mm. half, but there was grand drama toward the end of the episode. Right. Because it sounds like from the response that we're getting that there are some people who listen to our podcast but don't actually watch the show. So just, <laughs> just to fill things in for those what people. A, what why? an odd choice to make. <laughs> I know, but there we go. Let's just go with it. At the end, Lord Grantham, who had gone off to Sheffield, I know why he came back early, that's all I can say to that, in his Lord Loot Sheffield uniform. burn. <laughs> In his Lord Loot uniform, which is very sexy. He looks kind of like a Mountie, actually. That red-trimmed heel. <laughs> yes. He um, came back early, unexpectedly, and found in his bedroom Lady Cora with that bounder, Mr. Bruckner. Most unexpected. Most or, unexpected. Or maybe not unexpected for those of us who are familiar with Richard E. Grant's work. I know that he always plays, I should have known, he always plays the oily, skulking ne'er-do-well. And he seemed on the up and up, but I should have known. That is not why you hire Richard E. Grant. You hire him precisely for those moments where he's sneaking around the back hallways looking so dastardly. And that's what he was there for. And now he's gone again. Coming into a lady's bedroom uninvited. Is there anything worse? Actually, there really isn't. But but apart from that. Do um, you think, mm, if I may dig into this. Please. I think Lady Cora enjoyed the frisson of flirtation. She did. Of course, she is a property. She did not, in fact. That is not how she wanted things to go down. But she was playing with fire a little bit. She Mm -hmm. wanted a little bit of flirtation. Yeah. You know, I noticed about Lord Grantham in his silly red-trimmed outfit – When he got angered and was moved to strike his foe, Mm. he used a backhand punch. Did he? That is not Marquis of Queensbury rules, June. That is improper. The backhand punch is clearly outlawed in the guidelines of boxing. That seemed the action of a cur, not of a proper lord. It's true. You know, I think maybe uh, some things that he learned, you know, in his surely very proper boarding school must have come out at that moment of anger. Rough and because he really does love Cora, and I think he does rather underestimate her sometimes. And Mister Buckner, is it? I was thinking of him as Richard E. Grant, Mister Bricker. Uh, <laughs> yes, he saw things in Cora that she doesn't really get to kind of explore and express. But he also was a cad, and that's really too bad. And it did lead to a really rather nasty scene that brought people to the door of their bedroom. In June, all they had done was knock over a lamp. They were playing a silly game. 
Just a silly game. <laughs> and they knocked over a limp. Well, we can only hope that this will make their marriage stronger in the end. Oh, that again. Lord Grantham has recognized that he has been taking Lady Cora for granted. And that Lady Cora will realize that she should be valued and will demand more. Although I found in the during their cocktail party, their rather modern cocktail party, mm-hmm. she was trying to make nice. She was sort of like uncomfortably making nice with Lord Grantham, but he wasn't having it. He was the one who had put up a wall. Yeah, well, he's the one who may have, uh, you know, had horns put against him. He had incipient horns. Yeah, incipient horns. He intervened before they could break the surface of the skin. <laughs> Exactly. Can we just say about that cocktail party, I thought Cora's insight that the great thing about a cocktail party was that it's done in 40 minutes and you don't have to sit for three hours making small talk with boring people. You know, she needed to read your article about ghosting. Yeah. You know? Can you? I wonder if people ghosted. Well, I mean, they would have called it the French leave of back course, then because that's how they... Did things, but well, there's an Irish term too, right? There's an Irish exit. There's Irish a, exit. They probably you, would have said that. If you would like to go into the archives of Slate and read my article about ghosting, which is when you just leave a party without saying goodbye to anyone, you'll see that there have been many ethnographic – you know, people like to cast aspersions on people from other countries. So they call it the Dutch leave or the French exit or, you know, everyone thinks that the other country is ruder than they are. Right. But I'm very much in favor of leaving without saying goodbye. And I wonder if that was a horrific faux pas – in 1924. Mm. I bet it was. I mean, everything's so proper. But right. times are changing. Times are changing, Seth. You know, it's striking, though, that I think it was at that very dinner that Cora made that observation. Well, she made it before the dinner that Edith was so upset that she sort of stormed away from dinner in a, you know, I'm hurt way. So she, in fact, did take her leave in a very dramatic circumstances. So it's... It's called the Edith goodbye. <laughs> Edith, goodbye. Poor Edith. Oh, man. Edith is so tortured. More tragedy shoveled upon her shoulders. Oh, God. Give her her break. It's just the way the things are shown. It's my biggest aggravation with the show in some ways, just the way they pile problems on Edith's shoulders. But I thought that when Rosamond came, her aunt, who was so mad that she'd given up 10 months of her life to bring that child into the world, then wants to just send the child off to France? What? June, the situation is quite manageable, (laughs) as Lady Rosamond pointed out. There are schools that take children at a very young age. Edith might even be able to visit once in a while. I'm just picturing poor Marigold, you know, wondering her own provenance at this she-she school in France. (laughs) And she's, well, how did I end up here? Who are my parents? What's happening? How am I to make my way in the world? How can I make my way there without a title? She, the, the poor girl has no title and surely no income either. I feel she's going to become a Parisian libertine. <laughs> so how old is Marigold? Marigold, what do we think she's about? She's like two or four or something? No, she, I mean, I think she might just be one or so, right? Oh, she's I mean, really small, huh? Yeah. Yes, of course. Uh, so she's very young. So let's think. So I she's, mean, how young do these schools take them? Yes, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's a fair school? point. School? It's a nursery. <laughs> it's like an incubator. It's it really not a school. is. So she's one in 1924. So like she's hitting her mid twenties, as nineteen you know, in the 1950s yeah. in Paris. She's going to be Unity Mitford. Oh 
This, well, it might be the best thing that ever happened to Marigold. Yeah. I, I mean, let's hope. You know, there's no definitive word on her father, Mr. Gregson, which I tell you, is that his name or is that the name of a, a chain of, no, uh, Mr. Gregson. of cake shops in, in Britain? Okay, yeah, Mr. Gregson. You tell me. But he, the, Mr. Gregson, hounded by the brown shirts yes. in Germany. Yes. Here is his illegitimate daughter. Yes. And would you, June, rather grow up? In a farmhouse in Yorkshire <laughs> or in a fancy boarding school in France? Oh, no. Having grown up in not that much different from a farmhouse in Yorkshire. At the time, I would have said in a boarding school in France. But now I think I'd take the farmhouse. What about you, Seth? I'll take France. <laughs> I'll take France. I would rather become a figure of international mystery. Mm unknown parentage mm. and yet money somewhere rattling around back there. Yeah. Let's hope that whatever happens to poor Marigold, please let it be just off the cycle, off the poor like ongoing turntable that never stops twirling around at, at uh, Downton Abbey. And what do we think Edith at the very end of the episode makes a trunk call? Trunk I don't call. even know what that is. A, a long tr- distance call. Oh. Mm-hmm. She does. She has to go into the servants' quarter, so... It's clearly something that's secretive. It's okay if the servant's here, kind of, but she doesn't want anybody from the family to know about it. And she's calling London, and we think she is, what, arranging a secret flat where she will take up residence with marigolds, or she's finding a a home for marigolds? What's happening? Yeah, I mean, the problem is money. Like, in a way, she can do whatever she likes, but she has to pay for it, because I don't think her freelance journalism earnings, God knows... (laughs) Unless things were very different back then. I just want, before we um, leave this episode, I'm very interested in this role of Carson as the Jim Cramer of his day, a man who gives stock tips and investment (laughs) advice with great pleasure, but not necessarily the most background. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Well, you know, he just wanted to feel that he was a man of his times and not out of the loop. Yeah. You've got Rudyard Kipling, 60 years old at the time, you know, dead within a decade, writing novels, and Mr. Carson still thinks they're of the moment. And, he, you know, he just wants to feel that he's plugged in and he needs to feel that he's a wise man who is able to impart advice upon his flock. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mrs. Hughes and Mrs. Patmore did an excellent job of stroking his ego at the end and making him feel he'd done well, even right. though they completely ignored him. Meanwhile, Mrs. Patmore sets up a proto-Airbnb situation in the, in the cottage in Houghton Lascaux, I think. I-, I hope she pays taxes on that <laughs> rental income. <laughs> Indeed. Can I just say, too, for the British listeners, speaking of Mr. Kipling, he makes exceedingly good cakes. Thank you. If only you could see Seth's face of confusion. As, as the Dowager Countess said, I'm bewildered. <laughs> <laughs> Again, though, Lord Merlin, Isabel, really a lovely match. Everyone agrees, even... The Dowager Countess agrees that they really are a fine match. And Dr. Clarson, they are forced to agree that Lord Merton is, in fact, a very smart man, mm. very engaged. Committed to change. Change, that change. He and Isabel seem like peas in a pod. Right. Independent-minded, fiery spirits. Yeah. Digging and- into the interesting topics of the times. And I don't think that he would allow any bounders to make moves on her. He's wiry. He's lanky and wiry. He's a good-looking man, I must say. No backhands from him, Jim. No, no, no. He, he, it's a straight right cross. Absolutely. A manly right cross. And then he dust off the fluff. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Blake's really moving in, isn't he, yeah. on Lady Mary? Well, well, that was sort of briefly addressed. But I like Mr. Blake. I do, too. I like his way with ordering a fricassee. <laughs> 
And I like the way, too, that just a giant, like, cow's, you know, <laughs> haunch just comes to the table and then he wants it pink. I bet he does. Speaking of romance, we had a meet-cute in this episode. Which one are you referring to, sir? I'm referring, of course, to Atticus Aldridge. Oh, yes. Atticus yes. Aldridge and Lady Rose met yes. in the rain under yes. a, a brawly. Did I say that correctly? Oh, absolutely. Under a brawly. Carrying packages. Cakes, even. And he loves cakes. Exceedingly good cakes. Yes. Many bubbly giggles yes. coming from Lady Rose. And a Jew. Indeed. June. Indeed. And a banker, of course. Of course. Oh, and Lord Fellows. Not only a meat cute, but a smart meat cute, because we know from last season that Rose is very open-minded when it comes to romance. She's not necessarily a philo-Semite, but she sees no prejudice. If she was a woman of the 1990s, she would definitely have, have a Love See No Color t-shirt. <laughs> so, you know, that's good. And I think I'm wondering if Rose might end up as Mrs. Aldridge. It's interesting to think about. And here's the J word again. After, uh-huh. you know, four seasons uh-huh. of ignoring right. Lady Cora's Jewish ancestry, suddenly uh-huh. Jews everywhere. Exactly. Jews all up in your face. <laughs> And I think I like Atticus Aldridge. I do too. He seemed like a fine young man. And he has a nice line in chitter chat. Is that what we call it? In flirtatious chat? Chat up lines? I don't know what we call them. I but, don't know either. But <laughs> he seems to have a good line in it anyway. He seems like Pick, a nice He's chat. a pickup? He's, yeah. he's a pua? <laughs> he's a pua. He's a pickup artist? He's a pua of his day. He's part of the pua community? <laughs> you are nudging impertinence, June. <laughs> oh. Was that the, the vintage burn of the episode, do you think, sir? That might have been the vintage burn. Let's think about this. What were the other possible vintage burns? The other one was, you know, somebody said that, oh, when the Dowager Countess said that she was infirm and that she needed Collins to stay with her, I believe it was Isabel who said, you're as infirm as Windsor Castle. And so that was a, that was kind of a vintage flattery burn. There was also the Dowager Countess being a bit impertinent when she says, what news of your suitor? <laughs> With a very pleased grin on her face. (laughs) And when Dr. Clarkson briefly plays therapist to the Dowager Countess and says, you know, do you think perhaps you resent Mm. Lady Isabel or Isabel, cousin Isabel, however, whatever her title is. (laughs) And the Dowager Countess says, I do not quite grasp your question. It bewilders me, (laughs) which is silly. She knows exactly what's going on. But to her credit, when she sees what a delightful match Isabel and Lord Merton are. Yeah. She gives way. Yeah. There was one more burn, yes. I felt like, which came from Daisy when she said, we're the future, they're the past. It was a mm-hmm. burn directed at the entire British patriarchy. <laughs> Good on you, Daisy. That's all I can say. Your sums have brought out the inner communist in you and, and Branson would be proud. A little bit on the nose parallelism as always on television and especially in Downton where Branson realized and, well, for the hundredth time and said out loud that essentially... Lord Grantham believes and is willing to admit that he civilized Branson, took this rough Irishman and turned him into a sort of gent, country squire at least. And it's clear that Violet, the Dowager Countess, thinks that she did the same for Isabel and indeed that her whole family did the same for Isabel, that the Crawleys or that the people in the big house sort of taught Mrs. Crawley to be a lady and perhaps a lady with a nice pile of her own. And she would never have been a figure of interest to Lord Merton had she not been shined up. I guess that's what she believes, that is to say the Dowager Countess. I wonder. I mean, I suppose it's true because their paths would never have crossed, but they're a good match. So I suppose that's a a commentary on um, 
how silly that system was. Well, you know, I, I sympathize with Lord Grantham to a degree. I mean, our current American president, June, has said we can disagree without being disagreeable. Uh-huh. And I think that's true. I think Miss Bunting could learn that lesson. I do, too. And I think on that note, perhaps it's a good place to leave Downton Abbey, do you think? Yes, but be aware, June, times are changing. There's a nudist colony coming to Essex. <laughs> I really hope that is a central feature of future episodes. <laughs> Seen from behind a wall, please. We will be back discussing episode six next week. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, Trimpy. <laughs> Until then, set the door. <laughs>